0: This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at VortexChurch.com. Today we start a brand new series that we're going to be in for four weeks looking at at F-bombs. Because... I believe that as we dive into this, you're going to see that there are things that have exploded in your life that you may not even be aware of. In the 1930s, the United States Army commissioned a small group of people, researchers and scientists that occupied the 12th story of a Manhattan high rise. And their job was to discover a different way, a different type of bomb deployment. And these scientists developed what became known as the atomic weapon that over the next few years would be tested and a few would be built. And after The war in Europe in World War II was over and the island hopping of the war against Japan in the Pacific was taking its toll on American lives. The United States government made a decision to use an atomic weapon over the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. There was very little known about these bombs at that time. But in the deployment, we discovered that near ground zero, near the moment in the place where the bomb is detonated, any organic material was immediately incinerated. And it left a very odd phenomenon that scientists and researchers discovered after they went back into these cities called shadows. What would happen is is the explosion would incinerate the organic material and because of the rapid expansion of gas that happened it would blow the incinerated material up against something that survived. These are pictures of shadows. We have those. As organic material was dissipated and blown throughout. If it was wood, if it was an animal, even as a human being. And it's sad to think that many of us are living in the shadows. I want to go to a verse in John 14, 6. John fourteen It will be on the screen. I'm going to reference it out of the message. The Bible tells us, and this is Jesus speaking, that the thief is only there to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I came so they can have real and eternal life more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus, in this one small moment, tells us that his plan for us, the end result of his plan is that we would have life. That God would be able, through Jesus Christ, to give us a life. And in this verse... It uses the term real, or we could ascribe the word authentic. That we can only really get authentic life through Jesus. But in this passage, Jesus makes it quite clear that we have an enemy. That there is an enemy, and his plan is to steal, to kill to destroy. And many of us today. Are living our lives out in the shadows. There has been a bomb that was dropped in our lives. And it has exploded. And it has left us living in the shadows. Of what a real authentic life should be. Look like. That's why for the next four weeks we're going to spend time examining four different F bombs, not H bombs, F bombs that our enemy will drop on us. You see, some of us experience the bomb dropping in our lives when we blow it, and most of us stop our focus right there. But bombs don't just explode in our lives because of something that we've done. Sometimes people that we care about and that we love make poor decisions. Maybe it's just the people that God has put us around. And maybe others around us blow it and a bomb drops in our life. So we're going to get... Today work. We're gonna do some work actually exposing our first one, but I I want to take a moment and look at a passage of scripture. It's Psalm fifty-one. If you have your Bible, I would turn there. And I want to look at what what does a life look like after a bomb explodes? After a bomb has been dropped and exploded in our lives, what does it really look like? And we find in this moment a young King David who has blown it himself. He has sinned by taking another man's wife as his own. He has sinned by then retaliating against that sin and having the husband killed. He's blown it. And at the beginning of Psalm 51, in verses 3 through 6, we see what it feels like to be living in the moment when a bomb has went off. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And speaking to God, David says this against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are provoked right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And to teach me wisdom. In the innermost place. There's this realization. Inside of the heart of David. That I have blown it. And God I understand. That your judgment is on me. And I deserve that. But he goes on to pray. God would you do something inside of me. Which you create in me a clean heart? And it's interesting. After the bombs exploded in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, scientists said it would be hundreds of years until life could inhabit that place again. It would be hundreds of years until after the radiation had destroyed organic life there that there could be life that could emerge and be sustained there. But the next spring, they found grass growing. And I'm telling you that even in the midst of your greatest failure, God still has the capacity to raise up new life. Today we're going to jump into the first and most deadly F-bomb that we're going to encounter. And it's the F-bomb of fear. As we watch the story of God unfold, we see the devastation that fear can have. Because as the entry book of the Bible closes... The book of Genesis, the beginning of the story of God. We find the children of Israel in Egypt having been rescued by God's providence from a famine. But as their numbers grew in Egypt, they were eventually enslaved. And their numbers grew and grew and the oppression grew and grew and grew. And so this group that has God's promise on it is removed from its home, which God promised to Abraham, which we we know as Canaan. Now we know it as Israel in the Middle East. And they're removed from that area. And God raises up a man named Moses. Moses who after blowing it himself and spending a good bit of time wallowing around in his failure, returns home. Back to Egypt, back to the people that he's from. And through a series of miracles, God forces the hand of Pharaoh to let the people go. And in this miraculous show of his might, God parts a sea so that the children of Israel can walk across on dry land to escape the oncoming chariots of the Egyptian army. And just as the last person's foot touches the shore, the waters come together again and swallow the army whole. And God meets them. The Bible describes that God's presence ascends on top of Mount Sinai like a cloud. And Moses goes up on top of the cloud. He comes down. Scripture records his face was glowing. That's how close he was to God. And he has two tablets that contain the Ten Commandments. Through all this time, God is providing miraculously, miraculously feeding and providing water. And two, these people stand on the shoreline of the Jordan River across from the place that God has promised them. And they send out spies to go see, can we really do this. We we know that God has told us to go and take the land, but can we really do this? And we will pick up in Numbers chapter 13, verses 31. This is the reports of the men who came back. But the men said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land. The land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people that we saw were of great size. And in that moment, an F-bomb is dropped on the people of Israel. And fear spreads like an infection through them. And the same people who had seen God do so much said, God, you can't do this. And began to doubt what God could do through them. And they stood on a shoreline and refused to take the next step. And So God took them back into the desert. took them back into the desert where they would wander around for 40 years until those men who refused to take the land that God had promised died. Because fear is a deadly weapon in your life. Here's three things today that I see that Show us the aftermath of what fear, when it is dropped in our lives and explodes, the kind of shadows it leaves with us. The first thing to know about fear is that fear always lies. Fear always lies. And in this moment, you see that. Because the men come back, not with an accurate report, but the Bible tells us that they begin to spread a bad report about the land. I'm telling you, we go in there, it just swallows you up. I mean, really? You step over there, it's going to eat you. The land is going to, and everybody over there is bigger, bigger—not apparently a whole lot bigger than a God that can part the ocean. It lies. Fear lies. I love my wife. She came home this week and said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about about me and and, and what God's called me to do. And, And my wife has given most Sundays of our church to be in an elementary room and to love on some of your crazy kids. That's what she has for the last year She has devoted herself to that. And she said, you know, I realized that when I say God can't use me, when I even think God can't use me, I'm not even talking about myself. I'm talking about God. I'm saying, God, you can't do this. And that's just a lie. Because God can do anything. God used a donkey in Scripture. I'm a hope, I hope I'm a little bit better than a donkey. And that's exactly what fear does. Fear lies. And that's why people, when they come in and they sit in my office and they talk to me about their problems and the decisions that they're trying to make and they go, well, I really don't want to make this decision because I'm afraid of. I just look at them and go, that's not a good reason. To factor into making a decision, fear is never designed to be a motivator in that regard. It is lying to you. Fear lies. The second thing is that fear alters your focus. I cannot imagine. Being that last person that touches the dry land when right behind you the ocean comes crashing together. When you can even see the chariots as they're approaching you. I can't imagine being that person. And most of us in here think, if that were me, the rest of my life I would never doubt God at all. But we learn that most of us have been in that situation before. And we need God to deliver us just like that. We need it. We were so dependent. God, if you don't show up, it ain't going to work at all. And he showed up. Your prayers were answered. And yet we go back to the same way of thinking and the same way of living. And that same group of people that walked through on dry land that had water when they were thirsty come out of a rock that same group of people that saw Moses meet with God that same group said God it's no longer about how strong you are it's about how big we are in comparison to them The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 27, that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. That one may turn away from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord, and we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But our capacity to focus on God and not on our problem becomes a fountain of life that that is paramount and epic for us because fear does something when it shifts our focus. Fear focuses us on the problem and not on the solution. And the last thing that I see that fear does is fear will cripple your relationships. Fear will cripple Your relationships. This is one of the most beautiful and difficult passages in all of Scripture. It's 1 John 4.18. It's the Apostle John, often called the beloved disciple, the beloved apostle, because he's really this person that everywhere Jesus went, John just somehow seemed to be there. And he uses the love of... Imagery of Jesus so much more than other writers in Scripture. And he drops this on us in John or 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It's impossible for authentic love and fear. And again, let's go back to what he's saying. Fear that has to do with punishment and consequences and the negative end result. It's impossible for those two things to cohabitate. Because perfect love will dispel fear. I want to go back to Our story, and look at how God presents a counterattack to this bomb that so often gets dropped in our lives. I love that in the midst of the men that were sent out in Numbers 13, there's a young man named Caleb. And Caleb stands up and says something. While all of these other men are saying, it's too big. The land is going to swallow you up. We can't do it. The armies are too great. Caleb stands up and says this. We can certainly do it. And as they wander around in the wilderness, as it creeps towards the end of this, God saves two men who were sent out as spies. Caleb, who spoke up, and a young man named Joshua. And he sends these men to the front as the men die off, and they become leaders. And the last one to pass away is Moses himself. Because Moses suffered under the same curse because he was the leader who refused to say, God said it, let's go. And so, after Moses' death, we pick up in the book of Joshua in chapter 1. And I thought about paraphrasing this for you, but it's so daggum good. It's just so good. And I want you to hear what God says to Joshua in the wake of this bomb going off, this infection of fear that spread through the Israelites. Listen to how God installs him as a leader. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then... You and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river to the Euphrates, all the Hittite, Pisgah, across the Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, From Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtal, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Psalms and from Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord. I'm sorry. I totally jumped to the wrong passage. All right. It goes from the Hittite country (laughs) to the great sea. It's a little. I'm sorry. Anyway, (laughs) it happens. All right. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and And very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. And do not turn to it from the right or from the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on, meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So that you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so in that moment, after the death of Moses, God installs Joshua as his successor. And he says to him, Be strong and courageous. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it a couple times. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be disheartened. Don't be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. And I love that he goes to his leaders at the end of the first chapter of Joshua, to tell them what the Lord has told them to do. And they answered Joshua in verse 16, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So as God is commissioning him, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. As he is informing his people of what God's plan is for them, they say to him, be strong and courageous. So what is God's counterattack? The first thing that I would tell you is that we have to choose wisely the right place to be strong and weak. We have to choose wisely. We have to choose the right place to be strong and weak. Because most of us are strong against God and weak to the world. We resist the change that God would bring in our lives and we're weak to the change that our culture would suggest to us. We have to choose the right place to be strong and weak because God wants us to be weak with Him. To be the kind of people that would say, God, whatever you want to do, I don't care. Whatever you want to do in my life, however you want to mold me, shape me, form me, I'm, I'm yours, God. And whatever that is, whatever direction you point me, I will be strong and courageous in knowing that you have done that in me. So we have to choose wisely where to be strong. And weak. And the last thing is that we need to fear only Jesus. Throughout the Bible, the term fear God is used over and over and over again. And it's interesting to me because there are so many words that we translate and and this connotation is not the same. All right, we're not talking about the same thing because I want you to see this verse out of Psalm one eleven. That the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Everything that is right and good and wise begins with the fear of God, and most of us think about fear in that fear that is associated with punishment and consequences and fear of the inevitable that if I go this direction that is going to happen but fear as the Bible describes the fear that should be leveraged towards God is a reverential respect one of the best places I've ever seen this defined is by a lawyer by the name of Bob Goff He has been dispatched by the American government several times as a a liaison in, in Africa to help rescue kids. He runs a law office. He is a legitimate businessman. But God has moved profoundly in his life and he wrote this. I've realized that I used to be afraid of failing at the things that mattered to me. But now, I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. You see, fearing Jesus means that we get to the place where I am so afraid to not do what God wants me to do. I want that's it. I just want to be the person that God's called me to be. That I don't I don't even want to entertain the thought that's outside of that. I want to be so madly committed to him that when he points me in a direction, I'm not scared of the consequences. Because I know God said, go that way. So let me ask you a question today. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Right now, in your life, where you're at, what are you afraid of? Because as we open this, we looked at John 14, 6. Where John is writing and says, remembers Jesus saying, I came that you would have life to its fullest, real, authentic life. But the thief came to steal that life. Fear will rob you of the life that God intends for you to live. When it is placed in any other object except into the heart of God. But when we reverentially respect the heart of God and say, God, I don't care. You get everything. Everything else doesn't matter. You point me in a direction, I'll go because I believe in you. At that moment, fear has no hold on you anymore. And just like the dawn of the next spring after the bombs had exploded in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, life can spring forth when we choose to reverentially respect God. Let's pray. God, today, for many of us, fear has crippled us. It's kept us from becoming the kind of people that You would call us to be. And so today, God, for those of us that have heard you speak to us and those that we've felt your your design being poured into us and you've given us directions to go, but we've said, I don't want to go there because I'm afraid. God, remind us that maybe we could be more afraid. succeeding at stuff that doesn't matter than the prospect of perhaps failing at something that does. And we believe, God, that your plan in our life is that we would have authentic life. We would have life as it was meant to be. And so we look to you today, God, to remind us about that life. Now, with nobody looking around, I want to ask you the question that I just asked you a moment ago. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of today? What what in your heart right now are you afraid of? Are you more afraid of stepping outside of the design that God has for your life? Or are you scared today of getting caught? Are you scared of somebody peeking inside your life and seeing something that's a fraud? Are you scared of somebody realizing that there's counterfeit that's going on there? Because if that's where you are today, if you're living with that kind of a fear by God's grace we can be rescued from that to life today if you'd say today that in my life there's been that, that bomb of fear has went off and it has straight up crippled me would you raise your hand today fear, fear has just crippled my life that you anybody in here anybody else hands going up everywhere now the only way that we can deal with fear is by actually realizing that God is in control And we have to let God be in control. And that means that for some of you, maybe today is a day that you need to resign your plan and start living God's plan. And stop trying to do it your way and start doing it His. So maybe that's you today. Maybe there's somebody in the room today and you would say, I'm tired of doing this all on my own. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm I'm feeling like I'm just living in the shadows. Like there's not real authentic life that's happening. I feel a little bit like my life has been stolen from me. But today I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Because I realize that He holds life. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? God, for those that have raised their hands, those that, God, that are here today, that are making a decision, making a commitment to follow you. I just ask that you would empower them and love them in a way that only you can for your glory, God. Encourage them over the next week. God, this next season as they begin to take the first steps to follow you and by your grace, God, give them new life in you. Because it's only in you, God, it's only in you that we really find life. So thank you for this moment and for the many hands that have went up in recognition of decisions made for you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray.